All right. Well, good morning, Shore. Good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. My name's Jordan. I'm so, so excited to be in this text. I'll say out of the gate that this text has influenced my life more than any other, and so I'm extremely excited to get to preach and teach out of it. So let me come out of the gate here with a hot take, okay? You ready for this? The universe is unpredictable. Yeah, not, not a hot take at all. Not original, not profound, but it's really the scientific reality. Um, brilliant minds have said for years and years that there's an unpredictability built into the universe that we cannot and probably won't fully understand. It's what's known scientifically as the chaos theory. The chaos theory. Now, let me say before I get too far here, um, I am so far from a scientist. This is not my world. My scientific knowledge is basically what the youth tell me or what the kids on Stranger Things tell me or what Tony Stark has taught me. That's my scientific knowledge right there. But, but the chaos theory is a measure of chaos and disorder that exists in nature that is completely unpredictable. And this is because of many, many slight, tiny variables where if any of them change, even in the slightest, the entire world changes. You might have heard the term the butterfly effect. That's where that originates from. There's this randomness built into the universe. And for Solomon, our teacher here in Ecclesiastes, and even to the average person like us, I think we know that life is unpredictable and at times even chaotic. And so Solomon in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes is going to introduce us to his own chaos theory. And though there may be some semblance of a rhythm to our lives, it's ultimately completely out of our control. That's where Solomon's going. And so the big overarching question for our text today is going to be, does anyone have any control over this life at all, or is it just completely random? Okay, so that's the big question for us. Let's read together our first eight verses. Here we go, verse one. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I still remember the first time I came across this text, and I read it as a list of things that I should be doing in life. Like, there will be a time that I should cry or I should laugh or I should mourn, or I should dance, but, but when you really get into the nitty-gritty of it, what he's actually saying isn't there's a time that you should do these things, but there's a time that you do do these things. 
And ultimately, these are not things that simply happen in life, though they do, but rather they're things that God sends. And we're not in control of these times and seasons at all. If you, if you look at it even closer, the text is, is very poetic. You have these 14 pairs of opposites. Born, die, kill, heal, plant, up, root. And in, in Hebrew poetry, whenever you have pairs of opposites like this, it symbolizes completion or totality. And so when you look at this list, it seems like there's a pleasant rhythm of life, like a teeter-totter going up and down, a merry-go-round going round and round. But when you really get in there and you begin to experience this, you begin that it's not all that pleasant, and you realize that you're not in control of life at all, but rather life is in control of you. Like, things happen that you just have no control over, right? Did, did anyone in here decide when you were going to be born? No, how much control did you have over your own birth? You don't just decide that, you know what, today I'm gonna mourn my friend John, and John's sitting next to you, like, I'm, what, what, I'm still alive, man. No, you don't just choose to mourn. You don't just choose that today is gonna be hilarious. No, these things have to happen to you. These seasons have to present themselves to you, and these seasons are completely outside of your control. And so we don't decide when we weep and mourn and laugh and dance. The seasons need to present themselves for us. So yes, there is a time to mourn. There is a time to love, but we're not in control of that. And I think this is a really challenging reality for us, that we're not in control of our lives. And Solomon's trying to tell us that if you think you're in control, it's really just an illusion. Any experience of control you have in your life is an illusion. Like, think about this. Um, last year, not that long ago, people in Abbotsford were just out, you know, working their fields, playing in their yards, firing up the grill, you name it, when all of a sudden, Floods were created by atmospheric rivers that went straight through their properties, leaving their homes, their livestock, their well-being just destroyed and gone. Uh, my wife and I have some really good friends out there whose entire home and business, which is all based on cattle and livestock, it was all just gone. In fact, just about a week and a half before the floods, they actually built a new barn and brought in new livestock to expand their business, and they never for a second thought it would be gone just like that. And so the point that Solomon's trying to say is we can't control when things are going to happen to us. We don't know when circumstances are going to change our lives. Like surely you've experienced this. One day feels great. The world is at peace. Everything is awesome. I feel safe. Then all of a sudden there's a war that's been going on for 100 days. There's another shooting. There's injustice. Sickness comes knocking. Difficult phone calls come through and just change your entire life in one sentence. And I'm sure some in here have had their lives suddenly shift like that in difficult and painful ways. These things just happen. We, we don't have any control over them. 
And so there's a time to laugh and a time to cry, but we don't pick those times. And, and so the big question is, is there any hope then? Well, I will say that if there is no God who cares for us, then there really is no hope. Then we're nothing more than a bunch of helpless victims just being tossed about by the sea. And so the question still remains, is anyone in control or is it all just completely random? I want to show you a few texts here. I think I could probably show you a hundred. I'm just going to show you a handful of them here that talk about who our God is and talk about his sovereignty. That just means that he is in total control of everything. So I'm going to fly through a few here. Colossians 1 verse 16. It says, For by him, how many things? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here we go again. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isaiah 45, God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Proverbs 19 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Or Proverbs 16, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Or how about Psalm 139? I could read the whole psalm. I'll just do a, a small part of it here. It says, for you, you being God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written. Listen to this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And so the scriptures just said that the hands of God, this sovereign God, wove you together, and years before you were even born, he had already molded together your life and personality and planned all the days of your life. Um, as sort of an aside, something we see from Psalm 139 is that God created you to be exactly who you're supposed to be. And so if I could put this another way, we need to stop trying to be someone we're not. The Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am exactly who I am. And trying to be someone that we're not can, can absolutely just destroy your life. And, and in the end, it will leave you not being able to live up to the image you're trying to portray and will probably lead you into seasons of self-hate, maybe even depression. And so it's key that we remember that we are exactly who God wants us to be, exactly where he would have us, and it's damaging and exhausting and robbing you of joy trying to be someone you're not. 
And so ultimately with these verses in mind, what we're seeing is that yes, there is a time and a season for everything in life, good, bad, difficult, all of it. And it may look random to us, but God is and always has been in total control of everything. He goes on, verse nine. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? You notice he doesn't answer this. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying, you live, you work, you love, you do these things, and what do you gain? He's saying nothing. You gain nothing from these things. It's all meaningless. It's this point that Solomon's been driving home for two chapters before this. Um, I, I came across a magazine article. Do people still read magazines? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, yeah, there you go. Awesome. One person. Oh, happy anniversary. Uh, I came across a magazine article from Life Magazine, and they did an issue on the meaning of life, the meaning of life. And they interviewed a bunch of people, including this, just a regular blue-collar guy. They interviewed this taxi driver, and he gives this observation about life, which is very similar to what Solomon's saying in Ecclesiastes. Here's what he says. He says, we're here to live and die. I live driving a cab, I do some fishing, I take my girl out, pay my taxes, do some reading, then get ready to drop dead. You gotta be strong about it, nobody cares. You're rich or you're poor, you're here then you're gone, you're like the wind, when you're gone other people will come. We're going to destroy ourselves, there's nothing we can do about it. The only cure for the world is nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start all over. We'll become like cornered animals fighting for survival. Life is nothing. Wow. This guy sounds like fun. But isn't it an eerily similar mindset to what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes? That if you look at life without a God who is in control, then yes, life is nothing. It's meaningless. There's no explanation for anything. But the good news is, is we have a God. We'll get more into that in a bit. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of a man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So here we see that it's God's plan, God's vision amidst all of the chaos. It's his ability to see, his plan to make everything beautiful in its time, which means that every step we take, every sorrow, every struggle, every tear, every hurt, every joy, it all mixes together to create something that will be beautiful in the end. And you have these shadows in life of how this plays out. Something about the Bible is it's constantly pointing to our real real-life examples to teach us about God and who he is. Um, A really good example of this text playing out, because it's so fresh in my mind, is uh, childbirth, okay? The experience of childbirth. The whole thing, um, it begins with pleasure, okay? Don't make me explain that. That it, it leads into what? Just agony and pain and nausea and, like, struggle and hurt and the pain gets increasingly more difficult and it concludes with the most difficult of pains and some 
on the extreme, extreme level, but all of them difficult. But in the end, what happens? An incredibly beautiful moment has happened when the child is born. And this is one of those pictures of what is unbelievably painful and unbelievably hard and lasts an unbelievably long time, turns out to be beautiful. And I often wonder about times in life like that. How beautiful would that moment be if it wasn't so hard fought? He makes everything beautiful in its time. He goes on, verse 11. So he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Okay, honestly, for me, I find myself a lot of the time on the human earthly side of time, trying to understand and not being able to, with, with no ability to see how this season I'm in could ever possibly be beautiful. Anyone else? Like, I have I got lots going on. Um, some things uh, are fresh and new. Some things I've been struggling with for years, and I, it's hard for me to always see. How, like, how is this going to be beautiful? How is God at work in this? But, but God essentially is saying here that you're too close to it. You can't step back far enough to see the entire picture, and so you're just going to have to trust me. And that's hard. Um, something I think a lot of us have never outgrown, maybe your kids are in it now, is the why stage. You know, like why? Well, because of this. Well, but why? Because of this. Well, Why? And I think some of us never outgrow that. We, we want to fit things into a nice, organized system and know exactly how they're going to work out. And God here is kind of laughing at that idea because he's created us to be really philosophical creatures. Did you see that line? He puts eternity into our hearts. So he's given us the ability to grasp and think and ponder on really deep things in life, yet at the same time he tells us that we're not going to find out what God is doing. Doesn't it sound like a practical joke on us? It's like he's saying, you want to know the purpose for everything in life? Well, I'm going to give you the ability to think deeply, so think long and hard about it, but I'm not going to tell you. Oh, It's like he's saying, you will never know it all because mystery is a prerequisite to faith. And what did we learn about faith last week? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so mystery will always exist. It's like our souls can't function without it. And so he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He doesn't run it by us first. He doesn't ask our opinion. His ways are hard to understand. He does whatever pleases him. And I think we can all agree that it doesn't always make sense to us. He goes on and gives us a response to this. Verse 12. I perceived 
that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And, and so, like, what do we do with this idea then that for everything there's a season, hard seasons, good seasons, we're not going to understand what's happening, but he promises to make everything beautiful. So what's our response? Well, here's what Solomon's saying. We enjoy the life that God has given us. We enjoy relationship with the creator of the universe who is holding all things together right now, who is in total control and is making everything beautiful in its time. And if you're in a stormy season right now, Jesus is trying to say, I've got it. You can let go. I've got it. Enjoy the fact that everything that's happening right now has gone through my sovereign hands. Enjoy the fact that what is tearful and hard is part of my love for you. This is like too big for our brains. Like this is God stuff. It's hard for us to comprehend. We don't have the lenses to see. Even if we could choose, we would choose wrong because our vision is limited. This, this is the message that Solomon's trying to make here, that there's a time and a season for everything and the drastic changes and chaos and difficult changes and seasons that may come are not out of randomness or chaos but are chosen by God alone. And he says our response to that is that we should eat and drink and enjoy life freely because your fate is in the hands of the eternal God who sees beyond our blurry, limited vision and instead sees the whole picture. Yeah. Let, let's see how he closes it out here. Verse 14. He says, I perceived... That whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So again, we're getting this idea of God being in total control, that the future is not just a place he knows about, but somewhere that he is right now, like Ah, that's mind-blowing. He is all-knowing, all-controlling. And, and though our finite eyes might look around and see utter chaos and disorganization, everything is going exactly as planned before the world was even created. And so I think a big question still stands out of response to this. And how do we make sense of this life? And how do we know that we can trust God and his plan? I think that's a legitimate question. Like, let's say you're right now, you're like, okay, let's just, let's just say I fully believe and buy into this idea of God's sovereignty and that there is order amidst the chaos. How can I have assurance that God is good and his plan is for me? It's a good, legitimate question. And for that, Romans 8 is going to help us. We'll turn there in just a second. Romans 8. 
it's one thing for us to say, yeah, okay, okay, God's in control. I get it. I've heard that before. But that doesn't provide total comfort to me because how do I know that his control isn't just going to harm me further? How do I know it's going to be for my good? How do I know it's going to be beautiful? Because we read things like Psalm 115 that says our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. How do we know that what he pleases is going to be good for us? God's sovereign. He's in total control. And we also know that God's ways won't be understandable to us. We read Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So his ways aren't even comprehensible. We can't even understand them. But that's not all the Bible tells us, thankfully. It also tells us that God in his sovereignty, God in his control, God in his ways is not malicious towards his children, but rather the opposite. And you can know right now with assurance why God does everything that he does. You can know the overarching purpose to everything that God does. You want to ask him, why am I in this season of life right now? Well, he's going to answer it in Romans 8, verse 28. Let's read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things, that means everything. So why does God do everything he does? He does it for his glory and for the good of his children. He works all things for good. God is in total control of all things, and because of that, we may not always understand what he's doing, but we can know that what he is doing is what's best for his children. And uh, I've learned some things um, about the fatherhood of God since being a father myself for the last, you know, almost six months. Um, we recently took our baby Luca for a round of shots at the clinic, um, and, and right now he's in this, like, super giggly and smiley phase. Like, he'll just, like, look at you. He'll recognize us, and he'll just, like, smile and be so happy just to see me. And so we're at the clinic, and he's just, like, sitting there on my lap, and he's, like, so cute and smiling at me, and we're just, like, having some fun. And, and then I have to hold him really still while he's looking at me, and this nurse sneaks, sneaks up behind him, pulls out this giant needle, and just jabs him in his little leg. And all of a sudden, his big smile just turns upside down and his eyes start to water, and he's looking at me like, I trusted you! 
Why did you let this lady do this to me? It hurts. I thought you loved me. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at him. I'm trying to explain. I'm like, trust me, this is going to be okay. He's crying. This this is for your good. This will make you healthy. And he can't comprehend that. All he hears is blah, 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 blah. He can't figure it out. I can explain and explain and explain, but it won't do any good. And in many ways, we're like my baby where something painful happens to us. We look to God for an explanation, but our comprehension can't understand it right now. And so in many ways, we say things to our children like, you know, you're not going to understand this, buddy, but I can't explain it to you. You're not going to be able to grasp, you know, viruses and germs and, and all that right now. But know that I'm doing this because I love you. And yeah, you're experiencing pain. And believe me, it's painful for me too right now. But I'm doing this out of an act of love for your good. And that's what God does with us. And what God calls us to do is to trust, believe me, I know it's hard, trust that he's working out of love for us and compassion for us. And maybe you're still asking, like, well, how how do we know? How do we know he's caring for us and we're not just being tossed about randomly? He's not just giving me this pain randomly. Well, He's going to take this answer one step further. And this is really the foundation for why we can trust him. Verse 32 of Romans 8. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You notice, notice the logic here. Um, maybe, maybe you're wondering, particularly when the stormy seasons of life come, and I, and I know that's some of you right now, when you're, when you're walking in the desert and things seem like there's no purpose for it at all, and there's no one who can explain why all these terrible things are happening in your life, and you say, why God? And God says, well, I'm working it out for your good. And you say, but how do I know? It doesn't feel like it's for my good. I don't see any possible way this season can be for my good. What God says here is here's how you can know that I'm on your side. I gave my own beloved son for you. do you think I'm going to make that kind of sacrifice and not see the whole thing through? Do you think I'm going to watch my son die a horrific death, sacrifice him, when I want you to be miserable? No, I gave my beloved son as a sign of my commitment to you for an eternity. And so, sure, I believe we really have two paths for life out of this. You can face life on your own. You can be the captain of your own ship, the captain of your soul, the master of your fate. But when difficult seasons of life come, they'll really have no meaningful purpose as to why. 
And when you're wondering why this difficult thing is happening, there's no good explanation for it. Or you can be found in the Son, Jesus Christ. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, which you can do this morning for the very first time or for the thousandth time, if you've put your faith in Jesus, that means that God has already invested in you and adopted you into his family. He's already sent his son to die for you. And in addition to hope in the midst of sorrow, you can have full assurance and forgiveness from all your sins. That's a God we can trust. And so for everything, there is a season. And from our vantage point, it's unpredictable and and chaotic and random and sometimes, oftentimes, makes no sense. But it does to God. And so what we see then is if your faith is in Jesus, you might not always know the ins and outs of life, but you can know with assurance that the sovereign king of all things, the one who holds all things together, is working everything for your good. And if you want further proof that he loves you and he's for you, just look to Jesus. Let's, let's stand together and respond. Uh, so, Father, we, we need you more than we ask. We just, we lay it all out that we don't understand why you do what you do. And sometimes it's really frustrating Oftentimes it makes no sense, and it's hard. But this morning I pray that you would just penetrate our hearts with the truth that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for our good, and because you love us, and the greatest proof of that is your son Jesus dying for our souls. And so this morning I just pray for my brothers and sisters in here that uh, you would just help them just examine their hearts Give them the courage and boldness to maybe lean into you where they haven't in the midst of a stormy season. And and we know that maybe you won't take us out of that season. Maybe you will, but we do know that we can find hope in you amidst that. And you're doing something beautiful. Help us just find comfort and hope in knowing that you are making everything beautiful. But the journey's tough and we need your help, God. I pray for just my friends in here who, you know, thinks they're in a good season right now. You know, they're laughing, they're happy, they're in a love season, whatever it is. I pray that you would help them just come alongside those who are in the more stormy seasons right now. Help us just be a place that uplifts one another, that comes alongside one another as you come alongside us. And so I just pray for just boldness to, to ask for prayer if we need it, Lord. Boldness to just trust in you and just would you increase our faith? I confess that too often I try to white knuckle it and do it myself, Lord, but help me just to trust in you way more than I do and less in myself, Lord. We love you. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.